0: Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This
1: is Dan Abuhal.
0: With Tamson and Dan, read the paper on Sunday, January 23rd,
1: 2022.
0: Mm-hmm. It's cold.
1: Yeah, it's cold. cold. Uh, yeah, we'll see if we go out later. It might be too cold, but we'll figure that out. In any mm-hmm. event, it is cold. We just had a nice visit from Ozzie. Uh So, uh, you know, he's a cutie. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had an interesting week. We did see a movie that, you know, even Hazy, even though he's as, as advanced as he is, uh, isn't quite ready for, but, uh, <laughs> it's a Disney movie. There's such a thing. You gotta be at least a year old. And, uh, we saw Encanto on, uh, what's not called the big screen, the medium screen. Right. Uh, which is, of course, the, uh, Disney animated film, uh, that takes place in Colombia. Yes. With music by Lin Manuel um, Miranda. I did note, uh, the yeah. 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 directors of Brian Howard and Jared Bush and Sharice Castro Smith. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's wonderfully animated. Yeah. Uh, we
0: haven't been up on Disney. Films for a while. Why
1: would we be, really, when you think we, of it? Because that.
0: a lot of them were pretty good. Eh, okay, but, you know. And, and uh, you know, you might still enjoy them. Maybe. But, uh, you know, it's once kids. our once our kids grew up, yeah, we we, we missed the... Uh, That's fine with me. Uh, <laughs> it casts a oh, so We why were me. intrigued by this. Yeah. Because... Listen, no one will... No one... Because had... there's been a lot of buzz about the music, etc. Yeah. And um, also because uh, Hazi's mommy... Yeah. Nico. Yeah. Um. Her family
1: yeah. has roots in, in Colombia.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so uh we, and Nico and Granger had a business in Colombia. That's true so too. We had And
1: we have been to Colombia. Right. And there's some... So we were curious. We've been to Bogota and there's some, right. there's some Spanish in there.
0: And, uh, yeah.
1: It's, uh, international. It's multi-ethnic. As we like to say. Um, so what did you think? I thought
0: it was fine. I thought it was very pretty. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: you know, it, it didn't uh, rock my world like Little Mermaid did. Well, listen, what, there's only yeah. one Little Mermaid. What can I say? I mean, uh, you know. Uh, But, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's about I, a, you know, I thought it was a fun.
0: magical house. Right. I'm into magical houses. I know you
1: are. I magical, go for that. Magical house in Columbia. So, uh, yeah, look, it's number one. It's wonderfully illustrated. And uh, one thing that uh, we haven't kept, close track of because as you say we haven't been watching animated movies for children is animation techniques keep advancing so the kind of stuff they're doing now is just unimaginable uh you know 30 years ago uh and it shows up i mean and it's it's wonderfully uh vivid and, um, and it moves and it moves with the music and you know it's uh it's got a lot of pep to it uh <laughs> Uh, and it's a nice enough story. I did, I did read a couple of reviews. They did note in the reviews that it's, it's the rare Disney movie in which there is no villain, which is interesting when You think about. It. Hmm. Uh, Disney that, villains are a big deal.
0: That is it. There are no
1: villains in the movie. I don't know if it's called we're, we're in a one the softer, gentler times or what. Um, some people feel that, that, that the movie kind of loses something because there's a little less in the way of conflict, a little less snap little mushier with respect to what's going on and what has to be overcome. I think that's, those are all fair observations. Uh, you know, we're all uh, Lin-Manuel fans, kind of like his music. But I actually read a review uh, on the Ebert site criticizing music, if you can believe it. I think what they said was uh, Lin-Manuel should take some time off. He's just recycling himself at this point. Ooh, and ooh. Uh, the stuff is all highly derivative and not particularly interesting or distinctive. I think that's a little rough. I think it was fine. There is one hit song. What the name of that song is, Tamsin. Uh We Don't Talk About Bruno, Right? Oh, right. Right? And which is a tremendous hit. No, 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 no. No, no. Well, you know all the words. Huh? Yes. Yes. You know, you want to sing a few bars that We Don't Talk? We don't mm-hmm. talk?
0: I, I think, I think yeah. the soundtrack
1: is... It's tremendously popular, successful. Yeah. It's like the number one, uh, <laughs> number one hit, uh, right? They've... Uh, Exceeded the sales from by Adele, so uh, there you go. Uh, so listen, catchy music—it's uh, fun. I did ask uh, Nico. So
0: wait a minute, does what? this mean that Encanto is doing better than
1: than what than
0: like West Side Story?
1: Oh, uh, I didn't look at it, but I'm sure it is. I mean, it's not. West Side Story is officially a flop. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. You know, uh, it will make a little money over time and have a little staying power. And we can talk about, you know, how we feel about that or what it means or what it doesn't mean. This has a built-in audience on on, on Disney+. And, and also, it's a little hard to compare because what are you comparing? You're comparing the in-theater numbers versus the television numbers? I don't even know what, if anything, the in-theater numbers of Encanto are. But it's tremendously successful in terms of bringing viewership Disney and people watching. It. So, you know, those things are so hard to compare these days. But I know this is not considered a pop. Yeah. Yeah. By any means. I'm not comparing Yeah, Encanto the
0: musical to No, I understand. But it's, it's, it's hard to, to even co- just, just from the point of
1: view I, of the movie. I understand. It's hard to even compare numbers yeah. because the numbers are it's such okay. a different drill. Um But, you know, I did ask Nico about uh, whether this was a movie was very evocative for her about Columbia. And i would seen the article the time. And she said, no, no, She's no, no, no. Right. Exactly. The words of the song. But there's a reason. There was an article in Times in which a woman says, this was so wonderful, she's from Colombia, she saw a father from Colombia, and he was very emotional about it, it was a of life everything about Colombia. But when Nico read the article, she pointed something out to me, which uh, she would be much more tuned to than I would, which is that the, the article, that article, was written by a woman who was not from the city, but was from the shore, uh, mentioned a few locations, even like Cartagena, but not Bogota. Yeah. And the uh, movie looks to be taken or it looks to be evocative more of the shore.
0: The than coast?
1: One, the coast, yeah. Where I'm in Jersey oriented, I say the shore, of the coast. And um, that's very different from Bogota. Even the people even speak here. Now, the one complexity there is that the point out, you don't have mountains uh, by coast, but they just is that that's a magical element of the movie. Right. Magic Mountain. So we're dismissing it. Okay. So anyway, it's evocative of a certain part of Colombia, And that makes perfect sense, too. Because it's not like any film would be about them, the entire United States. So there's an in, you know, uh, insightful analysis of what's covered by in the content. The other thing that happened, uh, is, well, a lot of things happened. Uh, one thing that happened was Meatloaf passed away. Mm-hmm. Meatloaf the rock singer. And uh, number one, I'll say we, we're fans. We okay. are just Vince. so you're clear, Just so we're clear we're coming over that said we were shocked that it was on the front page of the New York Times. Uh weren't you shocked by it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think he's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, I I love the music. Right. I can't say I think he's fabulous. I don't know anything about him. But um I've always loved that right. Out of Hell. That,
1: that that's but what it is. The right? minute
0: you introduce it to me, I'm sure. That's because I'm that kind of guy. And I'm um corrupting you. And you know but i cultural icon the way they're portraying him there yeah.
1: that was that seemed to me that surprised me actually well it is surpri- i mean you look at that and you say my god i mean uh god forbid one day safari johnny's gonna pass away and it's gonna be the whole front page i mean it's it's just it's, it's hard to imagine that that he gets that kind of play but whatever slow news day uh but we are big meatloaf fans i mean the big album uh, was uh, Bad Out of Hell? the big song was Paradise by the Dashboard Light, and um, you know, I a lot of people are familiar with it. It's very hard to describe it if you're not familiar with it. It is uh, the story of uh, sort of an adolescent type story of trying to make it with a girl, and uh, it uh, Bad Out of Hell was one of the largest selling albums of all time. Believe it or not. Yeah. Crazy. Well, it's very evocative yeah.
0: of uh, oh, yeah. a certain time period and age group and and so on. Well,
1: just... and, and a lot of very p- talented people were behind it. They say, you know, Jim Steinman, who was sort of partner in the sense that Jim Steinman wrote the music, uh, I think it was out of Columbia. Um, they had an on-again, off-again, friendly relationship. But uh, they had a lot of very talented people involved. They had like an orchestra involved. uh and uh, Todd Rundgren was the producer of it, which is a big deal. And famously, of course, it featured Phil Rizzuto. And you do remember Phil Rizzuto. Yeah. On Par- and he's Phil Rizzuto does what sounds like a baseball broadcast about a guy going first base and then stealing second base and getting third base and trying to get home. All right. We get the picture. Well, we get you to- get the picture. But, 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 but Phil Rizzuto didn't get the picture. Is the point Okay. I'm trying to- All right. So they talked to Phil Rizzuto afterwards. And they said, you know, Phil, I mean, that's very interesting that you got involved in this artistic project. It's very ambitious, you know, because it's trying to evoke sort of this teenager's experience, you know, his, you know, sexual experience. And Phil was shocked, supposedly. Mm-hmm. He had no idea that he was participating in a metaphor. That's a discussion. So uh, there you go. But, uh, you know, I guess he had a big impact, bigger than we realized. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. So anyway, sad to see. There was it, yeah. a
0: there, there was an odd little squib in the uh front of the times, maybe today yeah. or yesterday or something, saying how uh, years ago they were um when they were first writing about meatloaf, yeah, and because of their style book or whatever, yeah, they were quibbling about how to refer to him, you know. Um As Meat Loaf, you know, when the first mention, subsequent mention. Mr. Loaf. Would be Mr. Loaf. Mr. Loaf. And, uh, you know. (laughs) I can see the
1: The times it gets stuck. I guess the
0: reporter and then, you know, at some point a reporter says to him, you know, do you mind if I call you Meat? And uh, he just makes some snappy response. No, no, not if I can call you Eddie or something like that, which is not
1: the guy's name. Yeah. meaning You know, because that wasn't his name. Right. Uh, His name but, was like Marvin or something. But yeah. he, you know, it, it's funny. There's some odd things about him. Uh, one is that, you know, he had sort of a nervous breakdown after this. After he did the big album and he had this in and out of financial trouble, in and out of success. Uh, he tried various things in Europe. And at one point he was performing a comedy act with Hugh Laurie. It makes no sense. I can't yeah, imagine. Yeah. I can't get any details. On it. Yeah. But the other thing that just goes into the odd fact categories is that support. You know, reasonably significant portion of his life, Meatloaf, was a vegetarian. <laughs>
0: okay. Right. That is interesting. There you go. Right. Uh, you know, obviously a complex, interesting person.
1: Yeah, but... Uh, Bigger than life. Um, cool. So there was an article, and here's something that we've been talking yeah, I,
0: wastewater Wastewater.
1: we should get Fields credit
0: clues we should
1: future virus waste how long have we been pounding this issue how many times have we read, this, this is the third time the, we've reported on this, this was, we were on to this 18 months ago 2 years ago the idea we keep
0: talking it should be a bigger thing by now
1: I think they should have
0: caught on whoever they are the the point is you can tell from analyzing the sewage of any place you know what kind of what the diseases in town are doing, especially
1: COVID, and how prevalent it is, and, and it's, it's a hugely actually, uh, useful set of information, and yet people are not using it. Every six months, there's an article saying here's something. Right. Let's look at the wastewater. And the truth is, I mean, um,
0: you know, the, and they, there's this great article in the Times that uh, that you know details how. They are using the information in Houston right. and how useful it is in terms of allocating um, you know uh, resource resources right? yeah. uh, you know um, medical treatments et cetera uh, and uh, just you know preparing for what's going on in the area because you can project you. If you analyze the sewage, yeah. even though it takes a certain amount of time, the sewage itself will tell you before, right. you know, the hospitals can tell you uh, what kind of... Before anybody's diagnosed with yeah. it, the sewage has the evidence of what's right. going on. Yeah. yeah. And so so it's very funny that when they interview... So, the, so they say that, uh, I guess, Houston is the only city that's really using um, this information and has a... Um, wastewater surveillance program that uh, that's uh, samples 39 wastewater treatment plants as well as nursing homes jails and communal uh, spaces and they measure the viral load across the city every tuesday okay <laughs> right? so no other city including new york is is doing that oh, yeah and uh in new york in fact they said well it's useful to confirm what we're seeing, but the um, it lacks the precision and lags behind the data through our primary surveillance
1: systems. Everything we've read says it's the opposite. It's not true. It's, it's not clearly true. not true. You know, the funny thing is, first of all, other countries, they, they've mentioned Norway, you know, has a very advanced system. They've been doing it uh, religiously for a while. And there's a quote saying, yeah, I can't believe the U.S. is so far behind. Um, the CDC sets up, you know, the CDC figures this out uh, almost as quickly as we did a year ago or so,
0: and <laughs> sets up
1: a separate division to look at this data, but that's not the same thing as setting up uh, separate testing facilities in all these cities, and that's what's happening only sporadically. I mean, it's not that it doesn't exist. Houston's just maybe the most advanced, the most detailed example of that sort of thing. But the amazing thing, of the thing that most amazed me about the article is the wastewater not only tells you how prevalent COVID is, it distinguishes between the variants. Yes, yes, which is amazing. Yes. So they're looking at it. They say, "Do we is Omicron, Omicron coming in, or is it just Delta?" They can tell you from the wastewater, right. and by analyzing where it is, yeah. you know, in one
0: part of the country, they can also, you know, sort of observe the arc right. of the, you know, development of the uh, the um, variant. Yeah. And so, and that's what I, also that relates to what I was saying about Houston having to allocate resources and treatments uh, because they, the different variants respond to different treatments. Yeah. Okay. So if you are able to analyze um, how much. Omicron, how much Delta, et cetera, you have, right.
1: you know what treatments to you be have allocated. To be stocking in the hospitals. Yeah, right. in in which particular hospitals? Plus, even when you see that uh, it's cresting, now we're yeah. getting reports that it's cresting or crested a week ago. So go down, you can start scheduling elective surgeries again, right?
0: And, and you can do, you can start scheduling all kinds of things, right? Because you now you're going you can have to capacity. Yeah, they say Boston. Ahead. They say Boston started to recede a while ago.
1: Right. Uh, we right. um, we're like pounding uh, a dead horse here. I mean, beating a dead horse. It's, it's but it
0: just, it just cracks me up. That, we're, uh, we're officials in New York are claiming that it's uh, we'll a, not particularly useful. We said it was useful. They,
1: You know, we're gonna do a, they
0: not listen? They're not right? listening to us in We're going to get a Peabody award. Or
1: something, whatever they give podcasts you know, public health. Um, so here's an interesting article I find interesting. I'm sure you've too about professional football, uh the uh cardinals the Arizona Cardinals were a highly regarded team this year, and uh they did the same thing as year they've done in the past two years now three years in a row they broke out to a very strong record like they won six of their first eight games, they stumbled the last five to six, mainly the, meaning they lost five out of seven They still made the playoffs they got into the playoffs and they got knocked out they got knocked out again. So why is this happening? There are various theories, but here is an interesting theory, and that is the team is cursed. The team is cursed, and you say to yourself, what curse could be befitting that team, the Cardinals? Well, the answer is this. By the way, they haven't won the championship for 75 years. I think it's the longest of any professional sport. Well, that's what a curse will do. Yeah, That's what a curse will do. You're going to have a curse. You might as well make it a, a, a sincere curse. Listen to this. They're one of the first teams in the National Football League. In the sixth season, the fledgling National Football League, 1925. There is not an official uh, game, but sort of the unofficial uh, championship game becomes a game in early December between uh, the Chicago Cardinals, who had a very good record, 9-1, and the Pottsville Maroons. How's that? Okay. Pottsville, Pennsylvania all
0: right. Maroons
1: in coal country. All right? all right? The Pottsville Maroons beat the Cardinals annually, 21-7. to Therefore, they're the best team. A week or two later, Pottsville agrees to play an exhibition in Philadelphia against uh, most of our college players, which is a good thing for the league because Pottsville wins and it shows the pro game. But they had what we'll call territorial rights. And the Philadelphia team complained afterwards saying that by playing that game in Philadelphia, the Pottsville team violated Philadelphia's territorial rights. They should be penalized. and For that reason, they weren't given the trophy for for 1925 for the championship possible maroons were kind of unfairly uh volatile, all right mm-hmm. now they offered it at that time they said the survival i guess you're the champions and they said no no not the champions but but uh when the cardinals said the, the cardinals initially said we're not champions but when they were bought by a family called the bidwell family going to team now in 1932 they said yes we were the champions we want that 25 <laughs> championship which is you know, bad form, right? Right. Bad karma, curse, right? Yeah. Well, uh, the issue didn't just uh, lay dormant. Every few years, or every 23 years, it comes up. In nineteen sixty-three, uh, and the Maroons, by the way, folded in nineteen twenty-nine. But in nineteen sixty-three, people associated with the team were in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, said, "You know, we'd like to have that championship recognized right? for all time's sake." And it went to uh, a vote, whatever, among the various owners. And the, the uh, Cardinals uh, owner, Charles Bidwell, argued strongly no, oh, no, it belongs to us, the Cardinals. And it did not go back to Pottsville. And it comes up again in 2003, you know, with names of people that names you would recognize, current owners, people like Dan Runers, Dan Rooney of Pittsburgh Steelers. And again, the Bidwell's, whoever, comes up again, vote denied, Cardinals claim it, it's their championship. And the theory is that because of the Cardinals, have continued to enjoy this ill-gotten game and celebrate a championship in which they have no right to celebrate, <laughs> that team is forever cursed. cursed. What do you think of that theory?
0: I, I thought there were going to be like, you know,
1: mysterious characters. You know, Wasn't a good enough story for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's fun. Well,
1: here's, here's a curse. let me just add one element yeah. here. Okay. First of all, the team that, that deserves it has a great name, the the Popsville- Mamut. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I said to myself, we've been in the Popsville, Pennsylvania. It turns out we Okay.
0: Because
1: Pottsville and Pottstown are two different places.
0: Oh, I knew that.
1: All right. Well, you, I where exactly is Pottsville? It's about 50 minutes from Pottsville. 15? 50. 50. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, it's the same idea. It's Philadelphia, I'm sorry, Pennsylvania coal country. And, you know, you get the feeling from Pottstown. Town. Uh, not a lot. All, right, all right, so that's on. not. Uh, but but yeah. listen, these people. I think possible needs it, and until the Cardinals straighten up and fly right, uh, they're not going to win anything. Okay, now right. you know.
0: Well, just like we keep uh, talking about wastewater, yes, we keep talking about murals,
1: yeah, okay? right.
0: and moving murals, yeah, moving uh, big works of all art right. that are painted on the wall, right. and as uh, so a uh, this week, uh, I have one uh, about a mural at Rikers, yeah. the famous prison, Rikers yeah. Island right. in New York, yeah. and uh, that's going to be closed down. There's a mural there painted by Faith Ringgold, um, who is uh, African American uh, painter of the 20th century, who uh, is painter, um, you know, uh, writer, uh, mixed media um artist, etc. uh famous for her sort of uh, her quilts mm-hmm. and her, you know, uh sort of quilt like approach to her quilt like aesthetic mm-hmm. to her art. Anyway, back in nineteen seventy two, uh she had a commission uh to paint a mural for the women's the women's house, uh in uh, Rikers for the women's building. And uh she did. She was uh paid I think like three thousand dollars for this. And uh, for years, uh, you know, um, she's been actually trying to have it moved because at a certain point, a new um, women's facility was built that was closed down and became part of the men's facility as somebody whitewashed it, Mm. actually. And uh, it, uh, you know, it came into some hard times and she's been campaigning all these years to try to preserve it to try to move it yeah. somewhere and um they did finally uh restore it get it restored and moved it to the new women's facility but at a certain point it's like um i guess they said 10 years ago it was up uh you know in in the um you know the gym like way up high yeah. like, uh, with plexiglass in front of it nobody's even seen sure. it at that point um so she's uh she was trying to work out deals that maybe it could go. were um, she was trying to get it into some you know school, mm-hmm. a university or somewhere uh, collection, and uh, the problem there seemed to be that the insurance yeah. uh, costs for the uh, taking care of having the uh, work would be prohibitive. So, but uh, finally, it is uh, going to be moved to the Brooklyn Museum. And, uh, and somebody has come through with uh, some big money. The philanthropist, uh, Agnes Gund, um, has offered to back the creation of a new mural to replace the artist's work at Rikers.
1: So I'm not sure exactly what that means. I don't get it. They're they're moving the mural, or or they're not. Um, I mean the, the article. The headline suggests they're moving. Yeah, they're, they're going to paint a new one. Besides, uh, what do you mean by a new mural? I'm, I'm...
0: Well, now that you're putting me on the spot here, I don't really understand. Uh, okay. Um, what's going on? But um, it uh, it seems they're moving the mural. Okay.
1: Huh. Okay.
0: Yeah. And uh, <laughs> not everybody's in favor of this. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of those problems where you have a public work of art and now it's going to a private institution. I mean, museums seem oh, like public okay. institutions, but they're really private. So there is that complication, but at least it will, uh, be safe. Mm-hmm. All right. I will look into this in more depth and okay. see exactly what's happening All right, uh, to this mural. Cause you know, I worry about the murals. Well, you know. but it, you know, it's again, it's, uh, when... had you ever heard of Faith Ringgold? No. No, so it's not too dissimilar from murals we've talked about from the 20s or 30s or whatever. And uh, they get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Um, and I'm not. She sure. is prominent. She sure. is prominent. Yeah. But um, I can see that in a few years, uh, you know, obviously somebody at Rikers forgot for a few minutes and whitewashed it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm surprised you didn't get that
1: off. But uh, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not concerned about whether there's a new mural or not. I mean, the article is really, they moved it. So uh, good good and uh i get it there are people
0: uh, i'm always concerned that a mural be that art
1: you be know preserved. be as
0: accessible as yeah. it can be yeah. you know i you know it's not my favorite thing uh that it's going to a museum because that limits it to
1: museum yeah. goers you know, or,
0: you, know and so you,
1: gotta, you but you pointed out how expensive it is to preserve it to move it to whatever it's it yeah, go a
0: darn shame
1: yeah, but it, but and yet, I mean, there are, there are worse things that could happen. The, yeah, there are more it, things that somebody came up. The with
0: original money. mural was supposed to, in some way, yeah, um, help and enhance. Yeah, I uh, know what you're going to say. The, the, experience the audience and, it was painted for.
1: Right. I Understand, yeah. but but you know that's that's a situation where people voted with their feet on. It. I mean, if, if 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 it had been truly appreciated and celebrated, and people said they got a lot out of it, it probably would have had a different fate, honestly. It wouldn't have ended up, you know, replacing August, yeah, I think.
0: That's not what I'm saying. I'm no, saying, saying it may have served, you know, it's meant to serve a particular purpose to a particular demographic, right? right? I, I, and they are not art critics. And they are not, uh, these are not people who are going to write essays about how okay. the mural and the dining hall changed my life. It, but, okay, but it may indeed right. have, But is, was, know, was
1: there any? is there any evidence that fact that it was embraced or people enthusiastic about it or enjoyed looking at it or anything at all. I mean, we have anything at all that suggests
0: Oh, No, but I don't think that's important.
1: Well, I think it is important. If you're, if, you're, if, you're, if what you're saying is that your focus is to continue to have the neural available in a place that people enjoyed it and benefited from it, then I think you'd want to identify what it is. Benefit is a tricky thing. Okay. All right. Okay. It's hard to identify whether people are benefiting. That's all I'm saying. And, uh, you want
0: some scientific uh, no, affirmation? I, I want that, anything, uh,
1: anything. I mean, you know, you, you'd like. I agree with you. That should be the issue. That should be the question. Before anybody moves it to a place that no one i see behind glass, ask themselves whether, in fact, people are benefiting from it.
0: Clearly, but, most people feel like you that they can't,
1: and that nobody's benefiting because nobody mentioned it. I, I don't know what it. I mean, I mean, I can't put myself back in. All right, we're getting lost in the weeds here. Let's okay. move on. Terry Teachout, cultural critic passed away in 55. Um, and he was, I was just familiar with him because he reviewed uh, right. movies and plays at the Wall Street Journal. And, he, you know, he used to write fairly short pieces for them. They're very pithy. They're very good. Um, turns out there's a lot more to Terry Teachout out than I realized. He was a critic across a wide range of arts. The Times says, Broadway, ballet, bluegrass. And practically every art form in between. And they show a few. He has a, he had a biography of uh, H.L. Mencken, biography of Louis Armstrong, biography of Duke Ellington, a biography of George Balanchine. So we're talking about dance, jazz, and intellectual life. Um, and of course, uh, you know, as I said before, movies and plays. Um, and, uh, you know, he said, look, the older I, this is a quote, the older I get and the more completely I immerse myself in all the arts, the more certain I am, that there's a larger, more fundamental sense in which they all seek to do the same thing. This deep resemblance means that I understand myself to be applying the same sort of aesthetic yardstick to, say, a ballet on the one hand and a movie on the other. That's an interesting point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I You know, it, it, or at very least, it takes a lot of knowledge and background to be able to do that. I've never thought about that one um, or thinking about. Uh, maybe it's true. The other thing is that, uh, you know, he makes, they make a point in the obituary that he was uh, very clear on separating his politics on the one hand from art criticism on the other. And he had politics. He was conservative uh, politically. He was associated with the William Buckley uh, publication. Um, and he said, look, those, these are just, in my mind, completely, completely different. You know, when I look at a piece of art, I'm not taking, I'm not thinking at all about the politics of the artist or my own politics. And here's what he said about that. He said, off the top of my head, I can't think of any important artist whose works I would shun solely because of their politics. Whether or not I'd accept a dinner invitation from them is another story. So there you go. I wouldn't accept a dinner invitation. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable point of view. Yeah, I think it is. I uh, That's my point of view. Anyway, that seems like an interesting thing. All right. Yes.
0: Um, speaking of interesting women. Yes. An article called The Art of Living Boldly yeah. about Françoise Gillot, uh, who is 100. Right,
1: and I never heard Former of her. Former
0: wife of Pablo Picasso. Right.
1: But also of uh, Jonas Salk. That's what caught my eye. I mean, who, who, what kind of person, what kind of woman would find herself uh, with uh, Jonas Salk in one hand and Pablo Picasso in the other? I mean, you couldn't have two of the biggest figures, in some senses, of the 20th century. The couldn't be opposite yeah. ends of the scale. In many, in, in almost every possible way. It doesn't seem possible. Well, the great article by Ruth
0: LaFerla.
1: yes, yeah, so and think? it's
0: a uh, terrific pictures both of, uh, Françoise currently, and yeah. she looks terrific, yeah, and uh, uh, you know full of life, uh, and uh, and and some great pictures from her past.
1: Well, she obviously very attractive, very a attractive. young woman, much younger than Picasso, yes. When she became his companion,
0: married Picasso when she was twenty one. And he was sixty one.
1: There you go. And
0: uh not the longest lasting marriage ever. They had two kids. Yeah. And then, you know, Picasso was Picasso. I mean, he had uh um many yeah. loves, okay, and many wives. And uh anyway, she she does uh she ends up writing a book uh telling uh, her story, Life with Picasso, uh, which uh, you know, makes it clear. That, uh, you know, it was a complex relationship, but uh, she seems, she just seems fascinated. She's an artist in her own right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, her works are um, in museums, you know, big museums all over the world. Uh, one of her, um, a portrait of her daughter Paloma, 1965 portrait of her daughter Paloma, recently, recently sold for $1.3 yeah. At uh, Sotheby's, so she's you know, a successful artist. She just had to be an extremely interesting um, woman, I think, to um, be married to the developer of the polio vaccine. Well, look, I don't think they say yeah. much
1: about that in the article. I don't no, remember. they
0: don't. They don't detail that marriage at all. Right.
1: But uh, they remain married
0: uh, until he dies.
1: Well, I mean, look, she comes across extremely self possessed. Uh, she's her own woman Uh, and maybe that's part of the explanation that she could be comfortable setting one and setting two. Maybe it doesn't make too much of a difference. It's not about the guy, it's about her. Otherwise, I can't figure it. But uh, she is impressive. There's no question about that. And she seems pretty pretty cheeky even now. It's not like she's a a blushing violet.
0: Great anecdote about her uh, first meeting Picasso. And he invites her to come for, he's going to give her uh, a lesson on engraving. Oh, yeah. Okay? I Which it, yeah. is, you know, making prints. Right. right. Which is like, you know, he. it's essentially he's saying, come over to my house to see my etchings. Yeah, <laughs> right. Know? Exactly right. Right. And so she arrives yeah. dressed to the nines. Right. Okay. In a black velvet dress with her. Dark red hair done up in a coiffure yes. she had taken from a painting by Velasquez of the Infanta, and uh, he remarks, "She doesn't look dressed. She doesn't look like she's dressed for engraving." And she replies, "You know, she um uh, pretty much knew he had no intention of teaching her." Anything about and craving that said well, that's uh it. paradise by the dashboard life but anyway, it. she right. seems like you know the the article is uh, uh not tremendously in depth but it does kind of give a, a
1: tantalizing or of a, a beautiful and interesting and movie. you were familiar with her I yeah. never heard you were familiar with her before yeah, just, just barely but you know, i mean
0: you you read about Picasso you uh, know about her
1: oh. All right, so uh, finally, um, there has uh, been a development with respect to Winnie the Pooh. we like to monitor those kind of things. Uh, Winnie the Pooh is in the public domain. So what does that mean? That means that uh, when originally copyrighted, uh, that 95 years ago, the rights belonged, of course, to A. Milner. He um, sold those rights some 25 years later or so to somebody else and sold them to Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney uh, apparently last year I don't know whether I should believe these numbers made between 3 and 5 billion dollars annually of Winnie and the Pooh really? Yeah, this is this, still making it, 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 i I just I'm not saying I'm standing behind those numbers but just whatever um, but the point is copyrights last 95 years and then it's in the public domain so starting with January 1 2 or 3 weeks ago went in the public domain so one what went into the public domain? The character goes into the public domain. The appearance, the movie, particular voice, the dialogue that uh, was debuted uh, by Disney that's not in the public domain. But the character is in the public right. domain, which okay. anybody can use it free at last. And um, so, sure enough, coming to the Washington Post, the cartoonist was on the ball the very first day of the new year, started a comic strip, Winnie the Pooh. And uh, here's what it says. You can't see it. But you have Winnie the Pooh drawn here, uh, talking to Christopher Robin. He says, it's me, Winnie the Pooh. I'm now in the public domain. Disney still owns their version of me, but as long as I don't put on a little red shirt, I can do as I like. Which suits me fine, because I like being nude. Christopher Robin says, you're not going to do anything weird, are you? And when he says, that remains to be seen. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see where Winnie goes. All right. He's out there on his own in the nude. Okay. All right. Uh, So that's all we have this week. It's uh, back to playoff football. Okay. I'm in. You're in? Yeah. uh, I see
0: that uh, Tom Brady's getting his coming up. Yeah,
1: he is indeed. He is indeed. Giselle, who has been known to uh, release bitter tweets in circumstances like this. Must be loading up. Mm. We can look forward to that. And who knows? Maybe it's his last game. He's had a good run. Uh, So until next week, this is Dan Abumont. Tamsin Granger with...
0: Tamsin and Dan, Dan
1: read the paper. I know you... you, One week is going to be gone with a win, but it is. Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. All right. See See you next week.